Well, you guys can be seated. Uh, good morning. Welcome. Uh, for those that don't know me, maybe you're new, uh, my name is Mark. I serve as the pastor here at our Syracuse campus, um, and I'm excited to welcome you here today. We've been going through uh, this series that we're calling The Pursuit, um, and this series, this is something that we really believe strongly in at Alpine Church. This is a series that if you go to uh, pursuegod.org, uh, this is the series that we really believe strongly in to use for mentoring, which is just another word that we use for discipleship. Um, and, and it really, it just goes into all the really critical, crucial topics for the Christian life. How to give your life to Jesus, how to live a God-honoring life, um, and how to just go full circle and, and help others to do the same. So that's what this series is about, um, and we are in uh, week five today. So let me just kind of catch you up uh, if you've missed, you know, the last few weeks. In week one, we started off by talking about three uh, really big truths for finding your journey um, in faith. And the main takeaway from that, from week one, is that God wants you, he pursues you, and he wants he wants a, a relationship with you, a personal relationship with you. Um, and so that's what we talked about in week one. In week two, uh, we talked about, we, talk, we talked simply about the Bible, okay? We talked about the Bible, how important this is. This word that God has given us is so, so important because this gives us a standard of truth. In a world today that seems to lack any sort of standard of truth, you know, you hear people talk about your truth or their truth or my truth. There is the truth we believe as Christians, and this is what gives us that truth. So we talk about how important the Bible is, how necessary it is, and in that lesson we also talked about the, the validity of the Bible, the reason we can trust the Bible. See, over time, um, it, it's, it stood the test of time for a couple thousand years now, um, and, and as time goes on, we just find, find more and more evidence for the Bible, more and more historical evidence, textual, personal evidence that just continues to build up the Bible. Thousands of years later, it's still standing the test of time. So that's what we talked about in week two. Uh, the next week, in week three, we talked about an important truth that is found in the Bible, and that is that all humans are created in the image of God. So we talked about why we can trust what this says, and we know that it says that in there, that all humans are created in the image of God. Now this idea is, is paramount to the Christian faith because this, this gives us something that the rest of the world really doesn't have, okay? This gives us a value of people, of human beings. Now despite what you might think, uh, this concept has not always been accepted all throughout the world. In fact, the lack of having that concept of, of human beings uh, being made in the image of God, the lack of that idea has led to slavery, genocide, a lot of wars. You can see the chaos that has been created throughout the world if we don't believe that. If that isn't true, then human life is not valued. So that is why it's so important to understand that every human life is an image bearer of God. So last week, uh, Ray gave us an awesome, awesome message last week, um, and it was talking about sin 
If you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and check it out. Um, either on, on the website, you can go check out Pursue God and, and check out the short video there, or you can go check out our Facebook live stream and, and go, go see Ray's sermon on it because it's really, really important um, to know what the Bible says about sin. Uh, see, in, today, in today's world, a lot of people, they don't like that word, right? We really don't like that. Even a lot of Christians, we don't like to use that word sin. We don't want to recognize that we're all sinful people. We're all fallen. We all have this sin nature. We're born into it. And the problem with sin is that it causes this brokenness and it causes a separation from God. Our sin separates us from a holy God. Now, the definition of sin, it's simply this. It's when we choose our way instead of God's way, whatever that is, our way of thinking, um, our own goals, our own ideas about the world. When we accept our ideas and put that before what God says, that is sin, in whatever form that comes in. And sin began clear back at the beginning, clear in the Garden of Eden, uh, clear back then. uh, Adam and Eve, they brought sin into the world when they chose their own way instead of God's way. God told them, you're, you're free to do anything here. You're free to eat whatever fruit in the garden you want, except just that one tree. Just, says, just one tree, right? And what do they do? The one thing they're not supposed to do, they choose to do anyways. So that's when sin came into the world. That was sin, uh, choosing their way instead of God's. And the world has been in a fallen state ever since. So, that's what we talked about last week. It was, we talked about the bad news. That's the bad news, is that we all have a sin nature, which separates us from God. And we didn't leave it at that. We did, we did share that there's hope, right? That's what the gospel is, okay? Um, and we're going to talk more about that in detail today, um, because the gospel, which I mentioned last week, the gospel, the word gospel means good news, I said that there can't be good news without bad news. Well, the bad news was our sin nature. We have a sin nature uh, that separates us from God, that we are a slave to it, really. And today, we're going to talk about the solution. So last week was the problem. Today is the solution. The solution, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not uh, a bunch of rules and regulations to follow. The solution isn't a thing, it's a person. The solution is Jesus, okay? The answer to the sin problem is Jesus. Now today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about who Jesus is, especially for those, you know, who maybe you are still seeking. Maybe you're still trying to find out what this Christian life is all about, what Christianity is, okay? And it's important to understand who Jesus is in doing that. Now, we're going to talk about five, five fundamental teachings about Jesus in the early church. If you've got your Bibles with you and you kind of want to follow along with the main story that we're, we're digging into today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, okay? And this is, here's a little background info about what's going on in this story, okay? God sent Peter to the house of Cornelius to share the good news about Jesus. And Peter's message is in Acts 10, 34 to 43, is where we're going to be hanging out in. It clearly outlines the five main teachings about Jesus in the early church. Now, Cornelius, he is this 
he's a Roman soldier. He's a centurion, actually. Um, and he's, he, so he's not Jewish. He's not, you know, he wasn't raised up in the Jewish faith. He doesn't really know the God of Israel. Uh, but he's, but God's been pursuing him, obviously, because he's seeking after God. He's seeking to know God. And in fact, he ends up having this, this vision. God gives him a vision to reach out to Peter, the apostle Peter, um, and so he sends men to go, to go talk to Peter and ask Peter to come talk to him. And, and Peter ends up having a vision as well. And it's cool how God just kind of brings, brings these people together. Okay? And, and so this, what we're going to read through is Peter talking to not just Cornelius alone, but to his entire household. Kind of like a mini sermon sort of thing. Okay? And that's what we're going to be talking about. So if you want to follow along, uh, the first thing that we're going to pull from this Okay, we're going to be in, in verse 36 of chapter 10. And Peter says this. He says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Okay? So what are we taking from that? We're taking from that this first point about Jesus, this first important thing about Jesus, is that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Now, there's, there's two really important things that we read in there, okay? The first takeaway is this, this idea of peace. And peace is something that we all want, isn't it? I know for me, uh, before I ever became a believer, I, I didn't even have any idea that that is something that could be had, that you can have this sense of peace, peace in, um, in relationships. Relationships are really what cause a lot of that absence of peace, isn't it? We, we feel this lack of peace in every relationship that we have. And most of all, we feel this with God um, in, because of our sin, because of our sin nature. We have this lack of peace. And what Peter is saying here, though, is that we can have peace. We can have this peace in our relationship with God. You can have re- reconciliation. You can fix your sin problem through, through Jesus Christ. Okay, That's what he's saying here. And that is so important because that reconciled relationship is something that we get to carry on into eternity. If we don't reconcile our relationship with God here in this world, in this life, that goes on into eternity either. Eternal, an eternal separation from God. So this is, this is really, really important to understand that there is peace. Okay, There's peace in this knowledge that eternal separation can be avoided. But the biggest takeaway, um, really from this, from this verse, is that last part. It's that Jesus is Lord of all. Okay? Lord of all. Because what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. It really is. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Because that's what determines your eternal destiny. If you don't know who Jesus is, you can't have peace with God. So, so who is Jesus? It says he is Lord of all, right? And that means he's the ruler of everything, authority over, over all things. And that includes us. That includes, uh, if he's Lord of all, he should be the Lord of my life as well, okay? See, Jesus, he's more, he's more than just a man or a teacher or this really good guy, Right? In, in the world today, a lot of people who, who maybe don't have a strong faith would, 
or maybe they don't even believe in Christianity at all, but they know Jesus was a historical figure, right? Everybody knows that. And the world would say, yeah, man, he's a, he's a nice guy, right? He te- he's got some really good teachings. He's just a, just a good guy. But we know that he's way, way more than that, right? He's more than a man, more than a teacher, more even than a priest or a prophet. He is God, the creator and sustainer of all things. Okay? He is Lord. It says in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, here's what it says. about This is about Jesus. Okay? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Now think about that. He holds all creation together. I mean, we exist. The very air we breathe is because he's sustaining that. He's sustaining us. So he's Lord of all. And like I said, personally for each one of us, that means that he's the Lord of my life as well. Now, if I don't believe that Jesus is Lord of all, maybe I claim to be a Christian, but I don't really believe that Jesus is Lord of all things, of everything. How easy would that make it to disregard some of the things that he says? It, that, would, that would make me able to justify not following some of the things he says, some of the, some of the instructions that he gives us for how to live. And it's, that's a dangerous place to be. It's dangerous when we start to be able to justify different things, living a certain way. So that's why this is so important to have Jesus be the Lord of our lives as well. And knowing his true identity is absolutely crucial um, I know for me, when I came to faith uh, originally, well, I, I wouldn't say I really came to a strong faith originally. Um, I, I had a lifetime struggle with addiction and different things, and uh, my life was a mess, and so I started seeking help, okay? And I started wanting to find something to, to help me. You know, I wanted uh, something that's just going to fix these little bit of problems I had. And so I started, started uh, seeking God, and... And what I found was, I began to believe the things in the Bible, okay, uh, but I still didn't want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I wanted to go on living the fun life that I was living, you know, and just take away these things that were, that were destroying me. And without making him the Lord of my life, I, I ended up falling back into addiction again, uh, justifying all kinds of things. And, I, and it came, I came to a point where finally I realized what that meant. For Jesus to be Lord means for him to be the Lord of my life, for him to be in charge of, of my life. And man, that, that does bring a sense of peace. Like we're talking about in this first point, this sense of peace that comes with not being in charge of my life anymore. Jesus, take the wheel, right? You've probably heard that. Jesus, take the wheel. And that's important to know. It's crucial. So this first point is talking about the personhood of Jesus, okay? Um, and the second point we're going to talk about, uh, in, if we go into, into verse 37 and, and into 38 here, here's what Peter goes on to say. He says, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God 
anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Okay? So here's, here's what we want to take away from that. Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So this is the second thing. The first point was about Jesus' identity. This second point, he goes on to talk about Jesus' works, okay? what he did during his earthly ministry. This, this point about Jesus isn't something that's really contested today. Everybody, everybody kind of knows the stories of Jesus, right, um, and, and all the, the work that he did in his earthly ministry. See, like I talked about before, even, even non-believers would, would admit, you know, when they read about Jesus, that he seems like a really good guy, right? He does a lot of really good things. And Jesus, he performed amazing miracles. We read them all throughout the Gospels. Um, if you haven't read the Gospels, if you're maybe, you're, like I said, you're still seeking, I would encourage you to do that because it's amazing uh, the, the life that he lived, the, the miracles that he performed, casting out demons, um, healing lepers, uh, feeding thousands from a tiny amount of food that they had, walking on water, he raised the dead to life. He was an amazing miracle worker. That's something that Jesus was. That's who he was. Now let's read a, a couple of instances here. In Luke chapter 4, verses 40 and 41, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus now, no matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. How, do, do we recognize how important that is? That even the demons recognize who Jesus is. Even the demons know who Jesus is. And another one, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now this was, this was something that even, even if somebody was trying to heal a leper, they would never do this. They would never touch them. Because even beyond this idea of, uh, you know, they, weren't, they didn't really know about contagions and things like that, but what they would determine is if you touched a leper, you were unclean. You became unclean. The fact that Jesus touches the man, he touches this man with leprosy and heals him, that, that just shows his divine power right there. He was demonstrating that. And the fact that he wanted to, right? He says, Lord, if you're willing you can make me clean. What does Jesus say? I am willing. I am. He wants to do that. He wants to heal. He wants to make your life better. And that's what we know about him. There's, there's one thing, though, that is really important that we read about that Jesus never did. He is the only man in history who could ever say this. He never sinned. Jesus never sinned. Jesus did not have that sin nature. He did not have that, that, that sin that separated him from God. Okay? He did not have the sin problem that we have. He wasn't born into it. He was perfect. And because he was perfect, he is the only one who could be 
the ultimate sacrifice for sin that we're going to talk about a little more, okay? That's what brings us to our third point here, okay? As, as Peter's going on and, and he's sharing about Jesus with the household of Cornelius, he says this, he goes on to say in 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Okay? So the third point is they put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. This is the third thing that we need to know about Jesus. The first point was about the personhood of Jesus. The, The second one was about the work that he did. And this third point, this right here is his greatest work, his absolute greatest work, the pivotal achievement. By far, the most important work that Jesus ever did was allowing himself to be put to death. And I say that allowing himself to be put to death. He did that willingly. He humbled himself to, to, to go to the cross. God of the universe becomes a man to die for us. That was his ultimate goal. That's what he had planned all along from the beginning. We can read about that here in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 44, about his death here. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Now this is really important. Maybe, maybe you don't know this, but the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple, that was put up to separate the holy of holies from the rest of the temple. That was where the Spirit of God actually resided in the temple, okay? And there was this curtain that went up to separate. Uh, so the work that they used to do in the temple was we, they, there were priests who were basically representatives of the people before God, okay? And they, they, they represented the people by making sacrifices to God. That was the work that they did in the temple. And so like I said, this curtain was that separation, the holy of holies, from the rest of the temple. In fact, when, when a priest had to enter the Holy of Holies, they used to uh, tie a rope around him as he went in there, uh, just in case, if, if they didn't do it, you know, everything they needed to do, being in the presence of God could, could strike someone dead. And so that's how holy it was. That's how this, this, this separation was, was legitimate. It was there. So you can see here, if we, when we read this, now the curtain in the sanctuary is torn, symbolizing what the work that Jesus did. Jesus bridges that gap. He bridged that gap between us and God. There was, there was, nobody, there were no, there was nobody else who could ever do that, who could ever bridge that gap other than Jesus. And he did that. And that's what is symbolic here. This is what God showed us that this separation has been taken away now. That's what Jesus did. Hallelujah indeed, yeah. So that's what happened here, and that's what this is showing, okay? But that's not the end of it, okay? 
most of you know, if we read on, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. So Jesus was buried in the tomb, okay? But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead from someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. See, the crucifixion of Jesus is central to the Christian faith, but so is the resurrection. This was, was God's plan from the very beginning, when mankind chose our way instead of God's way. God didn't want to leave us there. He didn't want to leave us like that. He chose to rescue us, and this was his plan. This is important and significant because of the curse of sin. So Jesus, he was sinless. He lives a sinless life. He's the only one who could be that perfect, ultimate sacrifice for us. If he he wasn't sinless, he couldn't pay for our sin. He'd have to pay for his own sin, right? So the fact that he was sinless is really important. That's what allowed him to pay for our sins, substitutionary atonement, we call it. See, everyone dies, but Jesus, he's the only one who can claim to have not stayed dead. His resurrection on the third day proved his power over sin and over death. That's what he did. That's what he was proving. He was showing that he is the Lord of all. He's the King of Kings, that he can't be beaten. Now, a lot of Christians might wonder why is the resurrection so important? I mean, why couldn't he just die and, and there he, he paid our debt and that's it? Well, we read about that in the Word here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 and 17. It says this, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's why it's so important, this resurrection uh, is so important to us. Now, Peter goes on to share some more about Jesus here, okay? Um, if, as he speaks on in, in verse 42, he says, He commanded us, speaking about Jesus, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Judge of the living and the dead. This is an important point that I think a lot of us kind of miss out on today. We, there's this misconception that we think Jesus is simply love and peace and, you know, freedom, and, and that's that. But as we talked about last week, we've got this sin, and it, and it needs to be dealt with. See, we all have this desire for justice that's instilled in, in all of us. That's, that's part of that I think that's probably part of that image-bearing part of God that's in us, right? That we have this sense of justice. Now, we think about, uh, you know, if somebody, somebody uh, steals from you, we, we want justice there. We don't want us to be like, oh, well, that, that's too bad. <laughs> we'll just, just forgive and forget and move on, right? No, like there, we, we feel this, this need for justice there. The funny thing, though, is as humans, with our sin nature, our sense of justice is always towards other people. We don't really want that sense of justice towards ourselves. 
right? When I've done something wrong, I just want to be forgiven. Move on. I don't want to be judged. I don't want that judgment to come on me. But justice demands a punishment for sin, okay? And, and God, he is, he is love. He is peace. But he's also just. Justice is, is, is a huge part of what he is. And, and justice, the justice of God meets the love of God at the cross. That's where the judgment was poured out. See, Jesus took the punishment for our sin on the cross. And he's going to be the one to judge everyone when the day comes. See, in Romans, I don't know if I have Romans on. Do I have Romans on there, Davian? Maybe not. So it says in Romans, let me hurry and flip to that. There we go. Romans chapter 2, verses 9 and 16. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. I don't know if that strikes a little bit of fear into you, but it definitely does to me. I mean, our secret life, that involves our thoughts and feelings and, and all these things that, that, that we, we keep hidden. Because we all have them. We all have sinful thoughts, sinful feelings, sinful actions. And one day, we are going to have to answer for that. One day, we are going to go before Jesus, and he is going to judge us for that. That's, that's the bad news from last week that we talked about, right? That's the bad news. We're going to be judged for our sin because God is just. He's not just going to say, anything goes, live your life how you want, whatever, because in the end, I'm just going to wipe it all clean. Like, no big deal. It's not how he works. He's got a mercy, but he's got a justice as well. But that's not where we want to end. Because if we ended there, if we ended there, that, that would be, for me, that, that's where I was stuck in my life, was this, this idea of I can never make up for all the sins that I've committed. I can never make up for all the horrible things that I've done in my life. And I had done some horrible things in my life. But he does, that's not where it ends. That's the important part. If it ended there, we'd be stuck in that shame, that guilt, and never be able to move past it. Okay? So there's a fifth point that he goes on to share about. Peter goes on to say, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's our fifth point. Everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven through his name. It doesn't say through our own work. It doesn't say through uh, living a, a good life, um, you know, doing all these good works, volunteering for this charity or that. Our sins aren't forgiven through any of that. None of that. Our sins are forgiven through Jesus' name. That's why he matters so much. That's why Jesus matters. That's what the gospel is. That's the good news. We all have this choice to make, though. God isn't, a, he's not a puppet master. He's not going to just force you to choose him. He wants you to choose him because he's a God of love. Love is a choice. Love is, love is a choice, okay? 
You know, in the world today, we talk about love as, a lot of people think love is a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. You choose to love somebody. That's what makes it love. But that's the good news. It's, it's really simple. It's really simple. We have a sin nature. We need to reconcile that somehow. But there's nothing that I can do to make up for all the horrible things that I've done. So Jesus paid that price. If I go before a judge, okay, uh, say I've committed some crime and I go before the judge, um, he's not just going to say, well, don't worry about it, forget about it. No, he's going to say, yeah, you're guilty of all these things. This is how judgment works. You are guilty uh, of all of these things. But what happens is, you know, say you're, say you're given a, a fine or a punishment. Well, if somebody pays that fine for you, then you're free, right? It's not that you didn't get judged. You got judged, but somebody paid that price for you. And that's how what Jesus did works. We're going to be judged one day. We're going to face uh, Jesus and, and, and account for all the things that we've done, account for the life that we've lived. And when I think about that personally, I, I, I do. I have this sense of dread about it, right? Uh, just, just thinking about everything that I've done in my life and facing it before Jesus and I can imagine the dread that, that will be there that day. But what happens is Jesus is the one who sets me free from that. Jesus paid for all of that. It's not my righteousness. It's not my good deeds. It's, it's, it's nothing but, but he and, and he alone and what he did. And that's what's going to happen. One day we're all going to be judged. And we're going to, hopefully we've determined if we want Jesus to pay for our sins or not. But that's who Jesus is. That's, that's how important he is. Um, and there are people who know this. There, there are people who know this and, and choose not to believe. Okay? Um, but it says in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, we actually touched on this last week. It says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And that's how we're saved. That's it right there. We trust Jesus. We say, Jesus, I accept this free gift that you offer, this sacrifice that you made for me. I want to accept that. I, I need to accept that. And if you haven't done that, maybe you're still, you're still learning about all this, you're still trying to figure that out, um, I, I'd encourage you to talk to somebody about that. Uh, come talk to somebody here. Maybe you came with somebody. Come talk to uh, one of our leaders. You can talk to me. Um, but we, we want you to make the most important decision of your life. We want to help you make that. Um, so if you haven't done that, I encourage you to, to reach out and talk to somebody about that. Um, but will you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, that uh, you are so amazing that you didn't want to leave us in the state we were in. I mean, we chose to go our own way instead of yours, your way, and, and we continue to do that. We are, we are rebels, but out of your love 
for us. You're, you value us so much that you made that amazing sacrifice, suffering and dying for us. Lord, I just pray that that would be something that we, we carry with us every moment of the day to just recognize this is how much you love us. You love us that much. Lord, I pray that um, anybody today who maybe has not made this decision yet, um, that they would have responsive hearts towards you, that they would, they would not leave today without trying to reconcile with you, without trying to, to find out more about you, um, to really learning what it's like, what it means to give their lives to you, that they can be forgiven of those sins that have, that have kept them weighed down for so long. Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you, that we get to gather here and worship your goodness, your love, your faithfulness to us, even when we are not faithful. And Lord, we just thank you for you, for who you are. We praise you and we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.